Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey everyone, Jordan with the Startup to Scale podcast here and really excited for today's conversation with Vasa Martinez, who is the founder and CEO of Perfy. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So for those who don't know, I'd love for you just to give a quick um, overview of Perfy and what the product is and so our listeners can know. Perfy is a low sugar soda enhanced with nootropics and adaptogens. Um, it's got L-theanine and uh, ashwagandha or turmeric in it. It's ketogenic certified, and we've replicated flavors like Hawaiian Punch, Sunkist, Trop, um, uh, Cactus Cooler, and Dr. Pepper in our first four SKUs. You know, and seriously, it's one of my favorite new products that I've had. Uh, I just finished up drinking the Blood Orange Yuzu, and seriously, it's like one of the most delicious, healthier sodas that I've had, and I can like drink regularly. It, it, it tastes good, and I know that's good for me. Love to hear it. Thank you. And then on top of that, you also run a social media marketing agency, right? Yeah, yeah, Growthbuster. So you were kind of well-versed in the uh, in marketing side of things and coming up from that way. So, I mean, I'd love to get into some of the things that are really kind of interesting. So one, after running the, the social media agency brand, why did you decide to launch a product? Um, it kind of started before that, you know, in terms of experience. Um, I started at Quest Nutrition and I went on to be, I was there for four years and then went on to be a director of marketing at a couple of different spots. And that's when I started Growthbuster. So over the course of 10 years, I was able to get reps in all sorts of different marketing facets and how to think about building brands and building a community. Um, although that word is really uh, maybe overused and watered down these days. Um, it was one of the things I first learned when I was at Quest. I was one of my first gigs as a intern at Quest was being on Stumble Upon and all of these social media things that don't even exist anymore, I don't think. Um, and we were finding folks there and, and just a cool thing. So um, why I went from agency to, to brand owner, um, there's a couple of reasons really from a strategic level. I know that I have a marketing team behind me that I don't have to pay as a startup founder. Um, to be, quite frankly, if I did pay them, I think it would be a conflict of interest for money from Perfy going to GB. So I just don't want to go that, down that route. Um, I have awesome people that I've trained that know my style um, who support on the Perfy end. So I don't have to worry about setting up an SMS uh, pop-up or an email flow or worry about designing X, Y, and Z or finding a freelancer to, to, to do it. So I just have that team and they're ready to rock at, on all things Perfy at all times from photography to graphic design to retention to whatever. Um, so having all of those reps and working with, I like to say that I, I worked with some of the best brands over the past five years with GB and um, not necessarily the worst brands, but I've been able to learn what to do and what not to do. And I think both of those are very equally important. So when starting uh, Perfy and owning my own CPG company, um, you know, yeah, beverage is crazy. It's tough, but I, I always say that it's, the barrier to entry and beverage is part, one of the reasons why I like it because it's not as easy to just jump in and do. Well, I'm sure too that uh, seeing and working with so many awesome brands, you probably got a little bit of an itch like, I really want to do this myself too. Like <laughs> if I got to control everything in the process, then um, it will be, it feels like a little bit easier because as you mentioned, you learn what to do and what not to do um, yeah. to get started. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been 
quote unquote fired probably 50 times in the past five years. Um, and when I say fired, I, I haven't been an employee of anybody else, but in terms of brands moving on from us, um, it's kind of tough, you know, after, after a while, like, although it's given me tremendously thick skin and I, I, you know, it just, it's been helpful because I know that there are certain things that I wasn't able to execute on as an agency owner for brands that I'm now applying to Perfy. And so far, so good. I appreciate you saying that and being vulnerable because a lot of people who have agencies, you'll hear them say like, yeah, we've not got the part for all of our clients and everything, everyone stays with us. And, and I appreciate you sharing that, like, you know, sometimes not a good fit. Sometimes things happen along the way. Yeah. Our, our longest tenured brands are literally from the beginning. I mean, uh, it's 2017. I was just, a, uh, I was a, like a sole proprietor consultant type marketing consultant. 2018 is when I incorporated GB. Um, and one of our first two, like two of our first clients, like I'd say first handful of clients are still with us today. One of them is Outer Isle Gourmet, where I also serve as their CMO and uh, the other's Magic Spoon. So we've been able to really sync up and, and lock, lock in with a couple of really good brands and other ones. It's, you know, it's kind of hit or miss. And I think that what we do, um, I just had this conversation the other day with the founder. Um, they always ask, you know, you're a social media agency, what sort of KPIs should we should be looking for? And they always want that number to be followers. And in 2017, 2018, I would win bets with clients saying, we'll double your following in less than four months. One more month to learn your brand, three months to execute. And I won a lot of money that way, or at least won a lot of you know, clout with the client that way. And it was all organic. It was a lot easier back then. So when running a social agency, we've, we've got to provide value in different ways. And one of those ways is we're not just taking pictures. We're taking pictures that can be repurposed. I call it content within context. You can use it an email, you could use it on print, you could use it, you know, add some, some text movement and use it, run it as an ad and test it out. There's a lot of versatility with what we create. Whereas with some, some people, you, you, you get a picture of a photo and there's no context behind it, writing social copy for it's pretty tough. And, um, you know, it is what it is, but it's, we've been, we've been fired quite a bit, you know, like we don't crush it for every single client. And it's how I think founders and operators leverage that content and leverage the foundation that we're building in what I call a digital business card. When people go to your grid, they want to see it. I still think like that people want to see a polished grid. There's influencers that check things out all the time. If you don't look solid, they don't want to work with you. So I think it's an, it's a very important digital business card. No, it totally makes sense. And definitely understand like why your marketing for Perfy looks so great because like you and your team has been thinking about this for a long time. How did you come up with the product development piece that you kind of work with an outside shop to kind of put it together because the product tastes delicious? Yeah, that was the, the biggest priority. Um, so Perfy has been on my mind for two or three years now. And um, it wasn't until I decided to burn the boats and sell all my stocks in crypto to, to really get it off the ground and get it past that, that development stage um, that it came to fruition. And I had been, I would say the beginning of last year, I had been, I got that itch. I was hitting contact forms for a lot of different formulators. A lot would, would not even get back to me. One got back to me. And when I told them it was just me, they were like, yeah, good luck. And that was it. And then the, my, my, the top on my list actually got back to me and I went with them. It was, wasn't like something where I, I do own a soda stream. I do experiment with like fruit juices in it. Um, I am a fan of Spindrift and other uh, sparkling waters like that. But that's not how I came up with the formulation. The way I came up with the formulation, it was with a pipe dream and guardrails. And I gave that to the R&D group. Here's the overall pipe dream. And it actually, it transitioned. Like I pivoted during R&D for, like we can get in that if you want, but 
I give them the guardrails of, I want it to be no more than this amount of net carbs. I want it to be no more than this amount of sugar, no more than this amount of calories, no fruit juice concentrates. It's like not, at least not right now. I don't want, I don't want to use them and I want to create the cleanest, most delicious. Like I like to think of it as, um, like Starburst in a can, even though Starburst is artificial as hell, what I wanted to create with the fruity flavors was like that explosion of flavor in your mouth, almost like eating a Starburst when you were a kid. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate because I, so previously, right, a lot of our listeners know this, I ran a energy bar company. And at the time we were trying to get these flavors like, you know, citrus and blueberry and all the quote unquote flavor houses are like, Hey, here's this natural flavoring, but we can't tell you what's inside of it. And one thing that I appreciate is that you guys use juice in your product instead of natural or of course, artificial flavors. And that makes a huge difference. And you can taste the quality and like, oh, like, okay, that's like real juice and that's real stuff in there versus a lot of stuff. And I even felt this with my own product. We were looking at ways of changing the formula of like, there's just this like flavor that tastes too to formulate it. And, and it just wasn't what I was looking for. A lot of people are looking for it. So I really value that you use juice and in, in the ingredients. Yeah. Um, it was one of the main things and thank you for that. Like I, I didn't want to use fruit juice concentrate when you, when you take perfume and you put it on a, you know, a table and you look at it across other functional drinks, not just functional sodas. Um, I wanted to find a couple different places to stand out. And one of those was by using not from concentrate fruit juices, which it's a little bit tough to find. Um, you don't have a full array of choices, but um, when you use them, so a, a fruit juice concentrate, if you think about those minute made little canisters yeah. from the nineties that we used to drink and you put them in a pitcher and you stir, add water and you stir. I didn't, I didn't want that to sort of like pull the water out, freeze it, ship it, get it to the co-man, add water back in, stir it, you know, batch it, all that. I think there's, it, it pulls away too much of the, the enjoyment of the fruit and i wanted although it's a little bit more to ship but you know like you're shipping heavier raw ingredients i wanted to, to maintain that aspect of like a fresh fruit juice so that was the goal and, and that's what we did but one note on that was with the fruity flavors there was a version of them that had natural flavors and it was even it was it was equally as good it was really nice but i decided to pull them out and we just launched our first legacy flavor. So we have, a, we're going to have four fruity flavors and we're going to have four legacy flavors and the legacy flavors, you can think of it, other people call them their classic line. And we just launched Dr. Perfy. And that does actually have organic natural flavors because you can't go to a tree and pull off something that tastes like Dr. Pepper. <laughs> yeah. It just, there's three different types of natural flavors. And I won't go into that because I don't want to have to preface it with all sort of legal ease. Um, but we use the, the most acceptable version of natural flavors, which are the organic ones. Nice. And tell me a little bit more about that new flavor launch, because I think it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Why did you choose to go with it? Yeah. So um, it started really in the way that it all happened uh, was that I was going to launch Perfy with two flavors. And once, once I had the first trial, like they sent three over, I was like, we're doing all three. Like, this is so good as a first trial, like we have to do all three. And although it cost you know, a, a little more than a penny more, it was so worth it to me to launch with three because the ideal amount is three or four SKUs to launch anything with. And then I went into like, after all that was done, we finished, we went from April to August to finish the first three flavors. I was like, all right, what's next? We got to have more flavors because I'm so stoked on these first three fruity. So I came up with a list of, you know, another pipe dream with guardrails. And I came up with, you know, with, with the team, they're, they're giving me like, this is what you can't do. This is what you can do. So within what I could do, 
I picked the next five flavors. And out of those next five flavors, Dr. Perfy really moved to the top of that list with just like, it's my favorite soda. It was what I was drinking all the time before I had Perfy. And it, it was naturally that next choice. But one of the cool things about it though, is that it's a limited edition can. And I bought a Doodles NFT in December of last year. And because I have limited rights as an owner of that NFT within that uh, project, I was like, well, I own the soda company. I own this NFT. I have X amount of rights and, and dollars I can make from it. I want to be like one of the first to put it on a can. So Dr. Perfy actually is Doodle 3966. And she ultimately became Dr. Perfy throughout the process of December to uh, September when we launched it by just storytelling and different fundings where she went to different planets to find the ingredients and ultimately landed on Dr. Perfy. So many things I want to get in to there. So, right, Dr. Perfy is, is a better for you natural take on Dr. Pepper, which is a, a huge classic and favorite. Um, but this use of the, the doodles and NFT for the, the kind of hero character of the product is, is really interesting. And I say it because of a couple of things. One, right, you look at traditional brands and the Kellogg's and General Mills of the world, and these kind of characters um, are very popular. It's a way of becoming an iconic brand, but few companies are doing that in a modern way. And so I think it's a really great vehicle for storytelling um, and like why the product and, and why to get into the brand that I think has been lost in a lot of natural products companies. And then two, being able to integrate this, this natural kind of uh, NFT landscape into a product, because I've seen some other brands who are like dabbling their toe in the space. A lot of people have no idea kind of how to really engage with NFTs and in this new Web3 environment. Um, I would love to just hear your perspective on what role kind of NFTs kind of play in the consumer product space and what are kind of good examples and what are bad examples and like what, what's possible? Um, I would expand on that a little bit. NFTs are technically part of like a Web3 technology and I would view it more as a technology than NFT artwork. There's, I mean, that's a subsector of it. Um, I view it like for, for me with, with, with Dr. Perfy or Doodle3966, there's a couple of things I wanted to do with it. I wanted to bring value to the community as an owner and have doodles on shelf. Like it's going to be pretty cool when it's on shelf. I can't say where, but it, it's, it's in route. I uh, also wanted to build my own IP of my doodle. So rather than selling doodle three, nine, six, six on OpenSea, if I ever do, it's like it's, I'm selling Dr. Perfy now. Like that is Dr. Perfy. She has history with a brand. And I'm going to hold on to her as long as I possibly can. I have no intention of ever selling because I want to turn her into the next famous cartoon character, like iconic cartoon characters. You think of like Bart, Bart Simpson, Mickey Mouse, all of these really cool things at SpongeBob. Now, if I can do that with my doodle, now I have an asset that appreciates on my balance sheet. Whereas if I would have spent the amount that I spent on my doodle on a celebrity or an influencer and done a limited edition can with them on it. Think Coke Creations and Marshmallow. I can't imagine that costs anything less than six or seven figures for Coke. They have tons of budget. Cool. That's great. And they can do it. And it's probably a fraction of a percent of their total budget. But for me, I don't have that budget. I had to do, um, it's always like, I, I, I don't say killing two birds with one stone anymore. I say like, like petting two birds with one stone, but I was buying an asset that I need to appreciate and value. I need to build the IP to do that. I can't just lean on the market for it to appreciate. And then two, 
I wanted to do a tactic that has been done time and time again, but in a different way. So something familiar, but different. You think Juneshine and Diplo or um, Coke and Marshmallow or all of these different collaborations to launch a limited edition flavor. That was the idea behind it. I, I think that's, that's really smart. Um, in building a beverage brand, how much of your kind of sales right now are direct to consumer versus retail? Is it mostly direct to consumer? The tides are shifting, my friend. <laughs> um, so here's a funny thing. I thought that I could get away with six months strictly focusing on D to C to grab 10 to 25,000 customers and launch into retail with an army. A good brand that, uh, that you can think of that's done that, the first one I can think of, uh, Quest wasn't a D2C company, they, what, but what they did though was build an army online and called them, called them to action and store. So much so that the, the community or that army, quote unquote, they requested them in store everywhere. So like GNC was a national account for Quest because so many people went in saying, I want to buy Quest bars here. So I've taken that from my history and I wasn't even a part of that. It's something I learned when I got there. And I put that in my tool belt for as I help try to help build brands in the future. So um, it was just, it, it's one of those things where I learned quickly that I cannot build a beverage company online. Everyone told me that. I thought maybe I can get away with it. But day two, literally I launched on February 22nd. The next day, I go hard on retail. So to, to answer your question specifically, right now it's like 40, 60 D to C to retail. In the next two months, it'll be 85 or 90 to 10. Yeah, and for our listeners, beverage is, is difficult to build online primarily because you're shipping liquid, which is heavy and is prone to freeze during the winter also um, across the country, and it just gets very expensive. And other things that you've learned from beverage? Yeah. Um, I won't say exactly what I learned for Perka. I don't want to yeah. share, share that little sauce, but if you're shipping a beverage, there's efficiencies that you can find. And it all, it all comes down to your logistics and your freight. If you can find an efficient means of shipping something, a, a liquid, and build in margin so you can spend on ads, I think there's a way for it to be a positive element in terms of contribution margin. Now, I wouldn't say that you can 100% crush it D to C. For instance, my, I'll, I'll tell you this. My goal is to acquire customers in retail. Now, a typical D2C brand, let's say uh, a chip, like a, a cheddar cheese cracker. Those are light, easy to ship. You can win customers, still have margin and build something solvent there. But for me, my ad spend is going to be my demos. So I'm going to look at demos and I'm going to say, all right, we spent $150 on this demo. We acquired 45 new customers. I'm going to look at it that way. And I'm building in something with a cool new technology where I can start tracking this and start remarketing to them based on their behaviors at the shelf. So I'm going to take what I've learned from like working with D2C brands and apply that to retail and hope, I mean, who knows it, maybe it won't work. Maybe I've got to go straight traditional retail, same thing we've always done, but I'm, I want to try something different and see if I can get an edge because I need to catch up to certain people or certain brands as fast as possible and as, as scrappy as possible. I think that's really smart and I, I'd be interested in following that journey with you and checking in because I have also seen a benefit of using some of the, the metrics of direct-to-consumer businesses and applying it to retail because so much of retail is, and colleagues, you know, let's just get as pr our product out there and 
assume we're going to find something that works without really much tracking. And so as much as you can bring, right, you can't track every single purchase, but as much as you can track overall trends and uh, repeat rates and purchase and kind of bring those offline customers into the digital um, kind of marketing funnel, I think there's a huge opportunity to um, use that to expand in new regions, to drive repeat purchase in-store and just have a better relationship with them. Yeah, for me, again, acquiring customer in-store is going to be my top priority and i have a really cool website but <clears throat> excuse me one thing that that i want to clarify is that there was an article that came out a week or two ago about beverage brands that have websites that are d2c beverage brands and i think there's a strong distinction to be made just because i have a website does not make me a d2c beverage brand it does not mean that i still think that i could win solely d2c I, the way that i'm setting this up is again acquiring customers in retail and retaining them on the website. So what that looks like is somebody goes to ShopRite, they scan this QR code, they get an offer, they redeem it, they get a rebate. People usually work with like Inmar or Mandelik and Rhodes for something like that, where you get a coupon for in-store. I'm doing it in a digital way so I can capture their, their phone number, know where they shop, and then give them the reward for, for purchasing two, three, or four cans. That'll help with my velocities, but now I have their number. Now what's their second offer? Hey, you've already redeemed this. You could redeem it one more time. So buy, buy four cans, get one rebate. And then they, you get it the second time. And then what's the third time? Buy two cans, get 50% off or 50 cents off. So you'll slowly wean them off of that discount because now they're an acquired customer. And that acquisition of that customer costs $3 for the redemption, 35 cents for their phone number. And I mean, I, I can't really, the cost of the demo maybe because maybe they drove them to the, to the shelf. Whereas right now people have, 50, 60, 70, $80 CACs with an unknown LTV. And it's just, it's not a sustainable way of doing business. And especially not for me, especially not for beverage. So I'm trying to look at it at a different way with a different intelligent solution. And sometimes when you think kind of like outside the box like this, people are like, this guy's crazy. There's no way this is going to work, but hell, I'll find out. And if I have to, I'll pivot. No, I, I, I don't think you're crazy and I totally agree. And I've been actually pushing other brands to go that route as well. Um, you know, we work with a number of partners, including Isle and Arcart, which do a lot of these redemption programs. And they're one of yeah. my favorites because it allows you to turn those offline customers into digital customers. Not that they're purchasing online, but you can build that relationship. And it's so clear what you've mentioned just in terms of those customer acquisition costs, because you're right, like, giving away a free can to start or, or 50 cent off is tiny compared to what it costs to acquire that customer online. Yeah. I mean, we, we used to do this all the time with the events. Um, you know, I, the, the way that I think about marketing and, and, and building fandom is, is so much, it's, it's stayed the same so much, but in so many ways, it's so different than the way I used to think about things. Like when we were at Quest, we learned something from, from Kindbar. There's this legend at Quest named Bruce. And he always had two bars, like he had more than two bars, but let's say I met, I met you on the street. He'd be like, hey, Jordan, here's a quest bar. And by the way, here's another one, but give that to a friend. And it would create this huge like, like domino effect of not necessarily acquiring a customer, but you've got past that barrier to entry of, does this taste like cardboard? And no, it doesn't. It's actually delicious. So for me, giving away one can of soda for free, but necessitating three or four purchases not only helps me with my velocities at store, they get their rebate right away. So it's a cool customer experience. And yes, Isle's the best. I, I, I'm so stoked to get going with that because it's so different. Um, and uh, I, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer for me. 35 cents plus the cost of redemption. 
plus the demo. Like, let's run it. Let's see what happens. And I'll tell you something that I see a lot of brands missing out on both in-store and D2C is they'll usually give one offer to start. And then they kind of have this sense of like, oh, I don't want to give any more offers because I don't want to discount my brand. But at the same time, you need to build a habit with the customer so that they get used to having your product, right? Because anyone can try something once and if they really like it, they might pay full price. They might not just depend on what's going on, but they have it two times, three times. Then it becomes their like their favorite lunch drink, the thing that they always grab with a sandwich on the go. Like it becomes something that's habitual. And at that point, then if they like it, then they, you know, a discount's always nice, but then they will pay full price for it. And I like that idea of you kind of like weaning them off the discount. Like you kind of build up the, the trial and the, the habit forming process and make it something that they like, and then they'll become supporters after that. Yeah. I think I know that conversation, like I've heard it a million times, like we're not a discount brand, like Louis Vuitton doesn't discount or, you know, whoever, like it, it, I, Apple doesn't discount. I get that, but how many freaking iPhones have you owned or how many different, I don't even know what the Google phones are called, but I've owned probably 15 iPhones in my life. I know what to expect. I know that at some point my current one's going to go kaput because they just launched a new one, but I know that there's new features in the next one. I don't need to hold it in my hand and play with it to see the new pill to know that it's going to be in a, a, a cooling for my experience, a cooling for my communications. With a beverage, you either taste like crap or you don't. With food, you either taste like crap or you don't. And in 2013 20 through 2018-ish, there was a point where that drop-off between eating a bag of Doritos and eating a Quest protein chip, you can have an enormous drop-off. This tastes like crap, but it's 21 grams of protein. It doesn't taste like crap, by the way, but like better for you brands. You could taste bad, but have high protein, low carbs and get away with it because now I'm just not eating this. Today, you have to taste amazing if you're a better for you brand and still not have the crap that the, the bad guys have. And that's where I'm at. I need people to know it's, it's worth $3 to me. Yeah. I can't have 3 million people in America at one time have one free can. Like I don't even have the dollars for that, you know, but once they sip on it, it's a quick decision. I can drink this all the time or I can't, or I can drink this maybe once a month, but it's for them to decide. And it's for me to be open to here's a free can just buy three or four. Absolutely agree with that. And I'll say, and um, those who don't know as well through our, my other company, Good Food Brands, we just got a, a palette of Perfy to get out into the world. And so excited to be part of that journey of getting Perfy into the hands of uh, hundreds of people around the country. Thank you. Yeah, it's all about for me. As I gave out so many, so we're in version 2.0 of Perfy. I just updated the labels and made them much easier to read, made why we exist a lot easier to understand, changed a couple words that people didn't even know what they were. And the way that I was able to achieve those insights was by giving a couple products for free or listening to customer feedback. Or, and, and now we're at 2.0 where I think I've learned, all right, we're in a good place to be on shelf and win. You know that it's fruit punch soda, you know that it's blood orange juice or whatever it may be. But in order to get there, if I didn't discount or if I didn't give away free product pretty, pretty openly, I probably wouldn't have learned those insights. I probably wouldn't have learned like, like nobody, not, not nobody, maybe less than five people out of thousands have said that it tastes like stevia. But there's so little stevia in, in Perfy that I think that they're misinterpreting the turmeric for stevia. So I'm able to, to, to message that, massage my marketing messaging, it's, and whether it's email or a social post or whatever it may be based on people trying it. And I'm always trying to learn something new from the customer. Awesome. Absolutely love that. And excited to follow your journey. Thanks so much for being on the show today.
Yeah, for sure.